Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus's ministry, from his calling to his victory over the grave. We are walking alongside his journey to the cross, to his death and burial, and then to his resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. glad that you're here today. I do my best on Sunday mornings to kind of make my way around the room and introduce myself to people that I haven't seen or, or met before. Um, but if I missed it at some point today, I do want to say, hey, it's great that you're here. I hope I get to meet you in person at the close of the service. Just kind of file this away for 25, 30 minutes from now. Um, I'll be at the close of the service at this welcome banner at the back. And I would love nothing more than for you to stop by, say hello. We got a free gift for you to take with you today. Um, and I'd love just to meet you before you leave. I'm glad that we're all gathered in this place. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I was on, I'll just confess, playing one of those little games that's on my phone. Me and the kids have it. And we play it, and they're better than I am. Um, and we have to watch ads when we play those games because we don't buy that stuff on our phones to get ad-free experiences. So I'm watching the little ad that pops up after one level to go to the another, and it tells me download this game to reduce your stress. Like it's previewing a new game that's supposed to help me reduce stress in my life. And because you can't fast forward these things, you got to watch the whole ad. And I'm just sitting there looking at it and the game pops up and I, I kind of see how it's supposed to be played. And at the top of the game, it tells me your brain is that of a 90 year old. I don't know how multiplying my age times two is supposed to relieve my stress. Um, but somehow or another, I was just reminded yet again that time goes really, really quickly. Um, Susan and I are now at the age that other people, we feel, we feel, you know, we feel like young 30s, whatever. We just had our kids. This is great. But no, fast forward lots of years later, and we're now the people who see strangers in public, and we go up to them and say, oh, that's, all. when is your baby due? Now, let's clear this up. We wait till like a real solid middle of the third trimester, eight and a half months before we ever bring that up because you never want to say, when are you due? Like, we're so excited. You only got two weeks left before the baby comes out. That's exciting. Or, oh, no, you guys just had a baby. How old? How cute? Like, it, and then we say this, it goes by fast. We have become the people who look at other, we used to be the people who heard this from some of you guys, but now we're the people who look at strangers. Oh, enjoy it. It goes by really fast. This is where we started, and some days I still feel like we're exactly right here. Oh, look at how much thicker my hair was. 
And that's not color. That was natural. Like, that's like all the black hair. But there's the kids. Like, this is how it started, and this is how it's going. Like, wow, here we are last week at Easter. They're like as big and grown up as we are. Some of them drive motor vehicles now. Like, things, and we feel like as if something was yesterday. So we're diving in this morning. We're, We're finishing up a series called The Jesus Way. And the whole goal is that we would follow Jesus his way all of our days, all of his ways, and that throughout the course of our life, we would be able to look back and chronicle and say, this is where we started with Jesus, and this is where we're going with Jesus. We talked about Easter last week, obviously, because it was Easter Sunday, and if you didn't talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection on Easter Sunday, like if somehow some church in America was diving into Noah and the flood last week, I don't even know what they were doing. Like we talked about Jesus, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. We were in John chapter 20, but it didn't, it didn't begin that way with the series. We actually began much earlier in it. And so if long before Easter came, this is actually where the disciples' journey began. This is where we started. If you have your Bible and you want to turn with me today, not to the book of John chapter 21, although we are going to land there, but I'm going to put that together for a little bit like pieces of a puzzle with Luke chapter 5. It says this, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now, a lot of the gospels tell this story of how Jesus goes and calls his first disciples. I love Luke's account because he gives a lot more details and a lot more of the human interactions that happened in the moment. It says that in verse 2, Jesus, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, if you're a good fisherman, you spend just as much time cleaning and mending and washing and taking care of your nets because that fabric can't break down. If the fabric broke down and there was like grimy water on it and it wasn't clean, the nets would become fibrous and they would become brittle and they would break and then the fish would get out. So like you needed really good nets. So the boats are docked. Is that what you say when boats are on a sandy shore? I don't really know that. Um, No, look up nautical things. Okay, like the boats are on the shore and they're mending and washing and taking care of the nets. So Jesus goes and gets into one of the boats. Like, is he going to steal it? What's happening? The one that was belonging to Simon. And he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Okay, so he does that. And then he sat down, apparently in the boat. You should always sit down in a boat. They flip. Um, He sat down in the boat and he taught the people from the boat. So imagine the picture. Like, here we are on, on a lake shore, and, and, and Jesus says, he gets in the boat, and he's like, hey, could you put out a little bit from the shore, you know, 10 feet, 20 feet, we're just kind of coasting along, and here we are, and I'm going to sit down in the boat, and I'm going to teach all the people that have gathered along the seashore the things that I want to teach them. And it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. Like, so we're not going to be on the shoreline anymore. We're going to go out to the middle of the lake where you look around and you can't really see any of the shoreline. Like, it's a, it's a really big lake. And he says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And what these guys knew as professional fishermen is that this was neither the time of day or the location on the lake where a person could catch any fish. For starters, the fish came up at the cool of the morning, early hours, in the, when it's still night outside almost, and they fed at the surface of the water. 
When, when the sun came out and it was midday, the fish are way down deep, way deeper than the nets would go. They're not feeding at the surface of the water, and this is not the spot in the lake where the fish are going to be. But Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. I love this line. I underline it. I memorize it. I relay it to my children. I make them repeat it to me. But because you say so. Oh, it's music to my ears. First time obedience, kids, right here. Like, just because I said so, like, do this. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. So we're done along the shore. We're done speaking. We're done teaching. Now we go out into deep water. Simon, a professional fisherman, and his brothers there too, know that this is not the time of day or the place on the lake where they're supposed to catch fish. But because Jesus said so, his reputation had already earned him this right. I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught, you might know the story, such a large number of fish that their nets began. Y'all, we just washed those nets. Man, I just mended those nets. And here we are out here fishing and catching such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And you can kind of bookmark that for another series and another sermon and another day. Like the right response to the miraculous nature and recognizing who Jesus is and how powerful he is is nothing more than a recognition of how weak and how sinful and how wretched we are. So he falls at his knees and he says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, once again, and they left everything and followed him. This is where the disciples' journey with Jesus began. This is where it all started. And this, if we want to fast forward past the book of John into the book of Acts, this is where we're going. This is how it started. This is where we're going. Jesus has died on the cross. Jesus has come back to life. Jesus has appeared to women at the tomb. Jesus has appeared to his disciples. We talked about this last week in a locked upper room where they didn't think anybody could get in and find them. Jesus miraculously appears not once, but twice because there was one disciple missing, but he's in this story too, so we're okay now. So Jesus appears twice, tells his disciples what he had come to do. And now what we know from the trajectory of scripture is that he was spending several more weeks with them before we get to the book of Acts. They gather around on a mountainside and they hear the final recorded words of living, breathing, alive Jesus on the planet before he ascends back into heaven. It says in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, are we, are we about done with this Roman Empire yet? Like, can we just, can we just go ahead and like, book in that and put a closure to where we've been with Rome and go ahead and do something? Can we restore Israel? Can we be a people who are in power again? Can we at least have control over our own lives and our own places of worship again? Are you going to fix it? Like we're ready. We saw that you died. We saw that you came back to life. We've been talking for several weeks now. Are you, are you finally, like we just don't see it. Are you going to fix it? Are we done? And then he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's like when you're driving down the road and your kids are like, are we there yet? And you're like, we'll be there when we're there. Like Jesus looks at, hey guys, we're going to be there when we get there. But you, 
says in verse 8, you will receive power. Like Israel, it's not going to have the kind of power you think it's going to have yet. We're still a ways away from that. And even then, it's not going to be what you think. But you, you yourselves, you as disciples who left their boats on the shore and came and followed me, you who journeyed with me for three years, you who were the firsthand witnesses to everything that I said and everything that I did and everything that happened to me, you who were among the first few people to see that I had indeed come back to life, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of, like, forget Israel. Like, not forget Israel. That sounds really bad. No, like, include Israel. Come on, we love you guys. But, no, we're going much bigger than that, friends. Jerusalem. And Judea and Samaria, y'all like them, but they're included too. And to the very ends of the earth. And after he said this, they saw it. He was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid him from there. He ascended back into heaven. Like where we started on this Jesus way journey, it is with disciples being called to leave everything and come and follow him. And where we're going on this discipleship journey is watching the Lord command us, we're included in that, to go to every corner of the earth to share the good news of his crucifixion and his resurrection and the availability of forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation that people can have with God our maker. And then he ascends back up to heaven because he had already told them, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I got to go there so that you can come and be with me. Like this is what we have to know about where things begin and where things are going. To know where you're going, you, you, you first have to know where you've been. Like that's any sort of Google Maps or Siri. I thought about saying MapQuest, but I don't know who anybody uses that anymore. Like you have to have a starting destination and then an ending point to see where the journey is going to take you. The famous theologian Maria von Trapp, she's saying, start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Sometimes we're afraid to go back. Think about all the places that you've been in your life. Think about where your journey exploring Jesus or following Jesus or trusting Jesus began. Sometimes we're afraid to go there. But it's often the very best place to be. It's, it's good to be reminded where we started because I know a few stories in the room. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell anybody's story. That's yours. But I know, and I've, I've agonized, and I've felt, I, I felt a way about some of you starting from a place of rock bottom before you put your boat on the shore and, and left everything and followed Jesus. And it's, it's not fun to go back and, and think about those things and remember those feelings and those experiences, but, but sometimes it's, it's good to go back. We land in John chapter 21. Jesus has already appeared to the women. He's already appeared to his disciples, and it says this, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And if you go back to Luke chapter 5, verse 1, it says right there, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, here's a fun tidbit, the, the lake of Gennesaret and the Sea of Galilee, same place. 
I don't know why they call it two different things, but they do in Scripture. It's the same exact place. So right here on the very beginning, we recall, after Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it's right back to the beginning. It's right back where they started. I've heard messages preached before. I listen to a lot of sermons. It's kind of what I do. And, and, and I've read a lot of Bible studies, and I've even said a time or two myself. I've asked the question. It seems really odd to me. That Jesus died on the cross, came back from the grave. He had given them three years worth of instructions of what their lives were going to be like. They didn't quite understand it yet. And so now here he's back and they go right where they, it seems fearful. It seems lazy. It it seems like they missed some of the point when they, they go back to fish again. It seems cowardly. Jesus died and came back to life. And rather than rally along their purpose, they retreat back to the safety zone of what they had always known to the very thing that he called them out of. I don't, you look back through the recesses of scripture, they spent a lot of time with him on that water. So I'm just wondering if, if they weren't going back to what was familiar, if they weren't doing the lazy, cowardly thing, but they were going right back to the beginning. Think about all the moments they had been on that water with Jesus. That very first sermon, the time that he, he multiplied those fish for the very first time. This Sea of Galilee, this Lake of Gennesaret, it's where he calmed the storm. It's where they saw him walk on water. It's where he told Peter he could come out of the boat and walk and come towards him. It's not a bad thing when you need Jesus to go back to the place where you encountered Jesus. So what is that for you? Is it, is it the, the mountaintop? Like you just love the mountains and when you go to Gatlinburg or you go to Colorado or you hit North Carolina where Susan, like that mountain range where we went to Colorado, like you just feel close to God. You experienced his voice. You, you felt his presence. Like it's not a bad thing when you need Jesus to go back to the place where you really encounter. Maybe it's the ocean. Maybe you just see the waves rolling in and it feels like a rush of the Holy Spirit of God coming at you. Maybe it's some sort of hiking trail. Maybe it's indoors and you're an air-conditioned kind of person and you and Jesus spend a lot of time together like in your living room, on your couch, or, or bending down in a prayer closet and pouring over his word. Maybe it's a specific passage that is your natural go-to. When you need to experience God, you go straight back to that psalm because every time you read it, you experience God. I would like to one day encounter Jesus in Fiji. Or like Spain, like, or like the south of France. Like, because then I would have an excuse to go back there again. Like, wouldn't it be nice to encounter Jesus in some place fancy? Like, Jesus, I'd really love to have a solid connection point with you um, on a cruise line. That, that would be kind of, think about those moments. So in John chapter 21, the story continues. It says, it, it happened this way. Simon Peter Thomas, also known as Didymus. You know, he was the one that wasn't in the upper room the first time that Jesus came in the locked door and appeared to his disciples, but he was there the second time. He was the one who's like, unless I see the scars, unless I can put my hand in the side and feel that there really was a spear there, I will not believe. And then Jesus comes in. He's like, hey, Thomas, touch the side. Touch, look at the scars. Touch." And he's like, my Lord and my God. He's there. It says, Simon Peter, He's there on the Sea of Galilee. Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, the ones who had to bring their boat over to help Simon and Andrew catch that really large load. Their boats began to sink right there at the beginning, and the other disciples were all together. 
I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, it's just like Luke 5, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Man, just like Luke 5. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. I mean, they're out there on the lake. It's early morning, still kind of hazy out. They didn't, they didn't realize that it was him. So he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. We haven't caught anything all night, Lord. But because you say so. They did, when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Luke 5, nets began to break. The boats began to sink. Here we are, unable again to haul in such a large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, we've already established that that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment. (laughs) I love this. He, He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. He still had on his undergarment. Like, I don't want y'all to think this is a weird story. And he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish. The fish were already on it. And some bread. He can multiply fish if he needs to, by the way. He He didn't need them to catch that fish. But maybe he needed them to catch that fish. I don't think that we can often understand what Jesus is doing. This is in your notes if you like to write things down. Unless we first remember what he did. I think sometimes the reason why we miss the the thing that God is doing, the thing that God is saying, the thing that Jesus is saying is because we've forgotten what he already did. We've forgotten what he already did. That's why Bible study is so important. That's why reading God's word matters so much. That's why going back to the same passages and the same stories and the same encounters that you've read and studied over and over and over again for your entire lifetime. People read the Bible through in a calendar year. They they journal, they Bible study, they watch videos of, of teachers telling them what to say in little blanks and to put it down and they apply it to their life. I'm excited because every summer we do a really long series and we're heading into that. It starts next week and for 16 weeks we're going to go chapter by chapter by chapter through the book of Romans. I need you to put on your seat belts. And we actually have a journal which I'm super excited. It's leather bound which makes me feel fancy. Um, it's like bespoke. It's like so custom and cool. Um, and so Masterclass, Rolling Hills Community Church, it's a daily step guide through Romans. And this that you can touch, it's not just on the app where you can scroll, but it's, it's, it's a thing. You, there are no ads on the Rolling Hills app, by the way. It's something that you can just touch. You can write down things in. It tells you what passage of Scripture to read each day and what thoughts you come up with. Verses are highlighted throughout. And those are available starting this morning. Patrick will tell us more about how to get one at the close of the service. But this Bible says, oh, I've read Romans before. Read it again. God's going to show you something new this time that you weren't quite ready for before. I've read Genesis. I know that story. Read it again. God's going to show you something new there that you didn't quite know before. And God's going to do something in your life at one point that if you don't remember what Genesis says, you won't understand what that one point means. God's going to do something in our lives at one point. But if we don't continue pouring over his word, if we don't continue reminding ourselves and being reminded of what he said and what he did and why it matters, we won't understand what he's doing. So we're going to fast forward into the future and get 
get to 45, and if we don't remember what happened at 30 and what God said to us when we were 30, then we're not going to understand what he's saying to us at 45. It matters that we continue to pour over this word because we are a people who cannot understand what God is doing right now on April the, I should have looked this up beforehand, 16th, 2023, unless we really get in touch with what he said in April of 23 and 33 and 43 AD. So we're going to Romans. And I'm excited to see what he shows us. So he tells them to do their whole net thing. And, and remember, it's, it's parallel to Luke 5. That moment where he's like, hey, go out into deep water. Put your nets down again. You're going to catch some. We haven't caught anything all night. But because you say so, we'll put down our nets. It was deep water in Luke 5. It's the right side of the boat in John 21. But the same thing happened. They pulled in such a large number of fish. And so then they begin to realize, hey, the fellow that's on the shore calling out to us, John says, it is the Lord. And Peter dove right in. Oh, my mercy. If, if you get this moment. When you see and you hear Jesus, don't delay. Jump in. Jump in. Dive in big time. It says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. It already had fish on it. There was some bread. And Jesus said in verse 10, bring some of the fish that you just caught. I guess we'll put those on the coals too. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and he dragged the net of shore. It was full of large fish, 153. The Bible is detailed. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Where were they and what were they doing the first time that they encountered Jesus? Hey, put out into the shore a little ways and let me teach the people. They were mending their nets. And here they are, 153 fish later, the nets did not tear. Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. They ate fish for breakfast there. We not so much, but they did. It says, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because why? They knew it was the Lord. I just can't imagine having breakfast with Jesus. Mine's French toast, because I don't want to be chowing down on some fish. <laughs> Here's the deal. We as a people today, and, and these guys back then... We don't want to miss any invite that he gives or any table that he sets. Like we don't want to miss the invitation that Jesus sends us. I want, I want to say something about this table. I want to say something about this, this fireside opportunity to eat with him. Just in case there's any doubt, the table that is set before us, the table that we're invited to dine at unless, until he takes us home to be with him forever in a place called heaven. I'm talking about the table for now. The one that we get to be at right this minute, every single day of our lives. It's the church. It's the church. And not being involved in a local church, not being a life-giving part of some sort of local body of believers. It can be a small body of believers. It can be a really big body of believers. But it's got to be some sort of body of believers. It's got to be a collected group of baptized people who love and confess Jesus Christ and seek to apply the purposes of this word to their lives. A connected one where people know you and, and you know them where you give. We're going to pass an offering plate where you, you tithe and you participate 
participate in the work, where you, where you serve, you find a way to use your gifts and, and grow this body of Christ, where you attend and you pray and you sing. Some of y'all sing soft, that's okay. Some of y'all sing loud, that's also okay. Where you sing, where you build community, where you give support and where you receive support. If you are not at that table involved in the life of a growing local church, it's like eating every single meal every day of your life at a convenience store. It is. I thought about that. Like, you can grab a snack. It's a road trip. Pop in even for lunch one day because they got those rolly things with taquitos and hot dogs. I mean, like, do it. That's fine. But if that was your every single day, every single meal go-to, it's not healthy for you. It's not healthy. It doesn't grow you, and ultimately it does not satisfy you. Not being a part of a local, not being connected to a body of believers is like, hey, I'm just going to go and chow down at the MAPCO every day, nothing against MAPCO, every day of my life. Not being involved and connected to that, you miss something from, and some people avoid the table because the table has something on it that they don't like. You know the menu. Like, if I didn't go to my grandma's table or my mom's table or my mother-in-law's table because it had an item that I didn't like, I would have never gone to their tables because they all three provided at least one dish that had mayonnaise in it. And I just, I do not, I'm 44 years old. I have not done mayonnaise any day of my life. I do not plan on doing it any other day of my life. It's just not, do not come, don't, do not come at me with your potato salad. Like, I don't want it. And your ranch dressing, like, that's mayonnaise with tiny little black dots in it. Like, I don't do it. But to avoid the entire table and to miss out on the ham and the green beans and the sweet potatoes and the pecan pie because I don't want to see the potato salad on it, it's like going to a church and be like, oh, there's this one thing. that Trust me, those of you who've been around here for a while, there's something about this church you don't like. I know it. Like, I just, there's something about this church, this body, this program, this structure, this room, this pastor. I'm a lot sometimes. I get it. Like, there's something you don't like about here. But to miss all the amazing things that God puts in front of us because of that one thing that you just, just don't eat that one thing. That's fine. Is, is to miss, and some people, gosh, have been in some difficult circumstances and yet you still have the guts maybe to step out of a church but not to walk away from the church and you're here and that took courage and I applaud it. I can go ahead and promise you there's going to be something here you don't like. But stay tuned because there's a buffet and it's set by Jesus and it's got really good things on it to miss the entire table because of one thing that's on it, because of one tweet that you saw, because of one post that you read, because of one transgression in the life of one church is to miss a lot. We just sang a song that says your goodness is running after me. And I I picture when I sing that song, I picture those moments when my kids, like when they're little, and they finally get to start walking, and then they get to start running. Every one of you parents knows this. They run away from you, and they laugh, and they giggle, and they look over their shoulder to see if you've caught them. Simon, at two years old, when he could finally run, he ran face first into a bar stool because he was looking over the back of his shoulder, laughing hysterically to see if we found him. Black eye. Total black. I thought, oh no, our two-year-old has a black eye. We're going to have to cancel his doctor's appointment because I don't want to be turned into the Department of Social Services. Like, I'm terrified over what's going on in the life. But they love it. They run away. And they know that their parents are going to catch them. 
And they're going to be swept up in their arms and they're just going to cackle and they're going to throw their heads back and they're going to want to do it again. That's the picture. Like your goodness is running after me. And the problem with God's goodness running after us is that many times we're running away from him. And when we're running away from him somewhere down deep, we just want to be caught. And we want to know that he's strong enough to pick us up and to carry us. To, and then we'll run away again. And we'll look over our shoulder to see if he's catching us. Because we'll be so excited that it's the goodness of God that is picking us up, that is putting us at his table. There are so many professing, and I'm going to use the word professing with air quotes around it, Christians who are missing the table. And we don't want you to miss the table. Because if God invites you to it, and he sets you before it, don't miss out on what he gives. Please do your dishes when we're done because we were not raised in a barn and this is not Downton Abbey. Somebody's not going to do it for you. This is a place where we, like Kathy said, we partner together. We serve one another and we serve alongside each other. But do not miss the table. You have a need to be involved and connected. You have a need to jump in like Peter with both feet. Grab your garment and go, because Christ has invited you to be a part of this. What's your next step, and what's holding you back? You know, if you go through the journey, not only was Peter the guy that looked at Jesus and said, whoa, we just caught a whole lot of fish. Lord, get away from me. I'm a really sinful man. Not only was Peter one of the guys that left everything and followed him, not only was Peter one of the guys that walked on water, not only was Peter the guy that pulled the sword and was ready to rescue Jesus and die for Jesus, not only was Peter the guy that declared him the Christ, the Messiah, but he was also the guy who denied Jesus, not one time, not two times, but three times around a fire. You know, the only time in Scripture that a charcoal fire is mentioned is when Peter was gathered around it on the evening that Jesus was arrested. They were around a charcoal fire. And here they see on the shoreline, mid-morning, a charcoal fire. Go back to where you were. Go back in your mind to your biggest failure and your biggest letdown. Because Jesus is there, and what he's going to do is significant. We have to never, ever, ever forget that Christ's aim, when we're really far off, 100 yards off the shore, or 10 years down your own wayward journey, no matter how far you are, his aim is to bring us back close. It says, when they had finished eating in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And, okay, I don't know if Jesus is, do you love me more than fish? Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than all these other guys? But he says, do you love me? Peter replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. When Jesus draws us in close, he's drawing us back to him. And he's drawing us back to his purpose. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Come close. Feed my lambs. And so Jesus does it again. And he asked him again the second time, hey, hey, Lord, Jesus, Peter, do you, do you love me? And he's like, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he's like, feed, take care of my sheep. And then he asked him a, a third time, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked three times. I don't think he was hurt because it was that Jesus was asking him the same thing three times. Like he didn't believe him. 
I think he was hurt because he remembered the last time that he was at a charcoal fire and three times he denied Jesus. He's like, then, then, then tend my sheep, take, take care of my lambs. This is, this is what you do. Jesus invites us to him. He, he invites us to his purpose and he invites us to the very beginning. Don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you will fish for people takes him right back to the moment where he left everything and followed him. And now he's asking him, hey, don't, don't just leave your boat. Leave your shame. Leave it behind. Don't just leave your nets. Leave your embarrassment. You, you can leave that last moment around the fire behind and, and build your life now on this moment around the fire where you declared not once, not twice, but three times, not only do you know me, but you love me. Go back to the beginning. John 15 is where we started this series. In John chapter 15, verse 8, Pastor Jeff was teaching that day. Verse 8 says this, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Peter, I'm going to use you to love and tend and care for my flock that's going to be bigger than anything that you have ever imagined. It's going to be hard. In verse 18 of John 21, it says, Very truly I tell you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. It says in verse 19 that Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. The invite has always been to go exactly where he leads, to follow Jesus wherever it is. And he told Peter, first up, it's going to be hard. We're never promised an easy journey along the way. Go to those pictures again. This guy right here. Um, in 2014, I was working at the Franklin campus of Rolling Hills. Um, all three of our kids had been dedicated to the Lord there. Simon was about two years old. We had not started the Nashville campus. We had not started the Columbia campus. We had not even started the Nolansville campus. It was just a Bible study that wasn't actually in Nolansville at the time. It was meeting in Brentwood over at Edmondson Elementary School. If you'd asked this guy way back then, hey, do you think you're going to go? I was a kids pastor hanging out with elementary school kids and all the volunteers on Sunday mornings that, that we would come and do this Nashville campus thing. I had no idea, and I would have thought that that was absolutely, why would I ever leave where we live down in Spring Hill? Why would I ever leave this Franklin campus to go do something that five years in has been hard? And here we are eight years after that picture, and this is like the presidential elections. You know how they show you a picture of the president when he's first elected, and then four to eight years later, he's like, whoa, that guy aged. Google it. The president is the most photographed person in our country like they have pictures on inauguration day and they have pictures when they're going out of the west wing and like they have i'm telling you there's hard things but i didn't trade any of it because it's good and it's where jesus said go so it's where we followed that's what you're invited to do be a part of his church be on that journey. Go where he leads. Do not miss the table. If you love him, you will follow him, and you will bear fruit, and it will be amazing. That's the goal. That's his way, and we're invited to be a part of it. Would you bow your heads with me? I'll just say this. The band's back up. They're, they're tuning up and starting to play. On the bottom of your connection card, you don't have to look at it if you don't want to, there's, there's 
all these next step options. Kathy mentioned a couple. Baptism, joining the church, serving in some ministry area, being in a connected community group. What's the next thing that Jesus is telling you to do in order to follow him? Oh, but I don't like everything that's on the table. I understand. But don't miss out on all the blessings that he has because you're concerned about one part. He has a plan for you, and that plan includes being a part of his church. It's his way. Where he started was as a fisherman. Where he was going was to be the bedrock confession, the very first sermon, the very first church. Peter was there and involved in every step of it because he fought. He didn't let his transgressions, he didn't let his sin, he didn't let his embarrassment or his shame hold him back. He knew where he started and he knew where he was going. He was at the table. Father, would you continue to tell us who you are? Would you continue to remind us where we've come from and what it means to follow your way? It's in the name of Jesus that we pray today. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.